Welcome to Turning Point. No matter how well you care for your body, it's still subject to illness, injury, and aging. The good news is that won't always be the case. Today, Dr. David Jeremiah shares from God's Word that every believer can look forward to a new, perfected body in heaven. How will it differ from your earthly body? Listen as David introduces the ultimate extreme makeover. Well, today we're going to talk about what it means to have a body that's fit for heaven. And this body will be given to you, the Bible says, uh, at the resurrection uh, or at the rapture, you will have a new body. And uh, we we know a little bit about that from the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is our text. We'll get started with part one in just a moment. I want to encourage you to get the study guide series for this particular uh, study that we're doing. Uh, This is a three-month series, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, and uh, you can get the study guides for these three months. There's three study guides, 140 pages in each one, and you'll have a lot of supporting material to help you not only understand this better yourself, share it with others in small group Bible studies or in Sunday school classes, or just as a record of what you've been listening to on the radio during the months of March, April, and May. Once again, this is the study guide series for Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. Now, we're going to start this lesson from 1 Corinthians 15. This is one of my favorite lessons in all that we're studying during these days, and we've called it the ultimate extreme makeover. We are talking these days about heaven, and my message today is called the ultimate extreme makeover. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. Would you do that? Benjamin Franklin, in his epitaph, wrote of this present body, which he said, lies in the grave like the cover of an old book with its contents torn out, stripped of its lettering, but which will appear once again in a new and more eloquent edition revised and corrected by the author. What a great way to describe what is going to happen to us someday when our bodies receive the ultimate extreme makeover. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 35, Paul puts before us a question. But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? And in the next several verses, Paul gives us some contrasts between our current bodies and the body that we're going to have someday, and in doing so, he literally outlines for us all of the various aspects of the ultimate extreme makeover. Now, you have your Bibles open, and I want you to notice that, first of all, the requirement for a resurrected body, the requirement for being resurrected from the dead is you have to be dead, right? The requirement for resurrection is the death of the body. There's no resurrection if there's no death. In fact, Paul, I think, is having a little fun with the Corinthians when he writes in verse 36, foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. I think Paul's kind of chiding them a little bit and saying, you know, don't be silly. You can't have a resurrection if you don't die. 
The first observation is so obvious that he makes a little rebuke for his readers for not understanding it. And in essence, he's saying, don't be ignorant or foolish about this. There isn't really anything that you can do about resurrection until, first of all, you die. John 12, 24 says this, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Paul's just laying the foundation here for all of us who have such a hard time even talking about death. I mean, it's such a terrible word. We call it the D word. He says you shouldn't be afraid of death. You should embrace it because if you don't have death, you can't have a resurrected body. If it were somehow possible to live forever without dying, they would have to live forever in the body they now possess. What a horrible thought that would be. A man that I have greatly appreciated for his writings on the spiritual disciplines is a guy named Dallas Willard. He tells the story of a woman who refused to talk about life beyond death. She absolutely refused to talk about it because she said she didn't want her children to be disappointed if it turned out there was no afterlife. Now, as Willard points out, if there is no afterlife, no one will have any consciousness with which to feel disappointment. Think about that for a moment. On the other hand, he said, if there is an afterlife, whoever enters that next life unprepared may experience far more than mere disappointment. So as much as we don't like to talk about death, Paul helps us to get a little bit of a positive attitude about it right up front. And he says, look, I want to tell you about this new body that God's going to give you, but you have to understand the way to get that new body is you have to walk through the doorway of death to get it unless you happen to be alive when Jesus returns. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Well, so much as we dislike talking about death, Paul reminds us that without it, there is no resurrection. Now, the second thing he's going to teach us in this passage is that the result of resurrection is a different kind of body. Notice in verses 37 and 38, as you look down at your Bibles here in 1 Corinthians 15, He says, what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases to each seed its own body. Now, that's a little bit of a wordy verse or two, but listen to what he really is saying here. He is saying that the body that comes out of the grave is different from the body that went into the grave. He's saying, using this illustration, if you put a kernel of corn into the ground in order for it to grow, what comes out of the ground is not the kernel. It's a green stalk that looks very different. It's a part of the kernel. It represents the kernel, but it's not the same. And Paul is saying to us men and women that when we die and our bodies are buried and they go into the ground on the day of resurrection, they're going to come out of the ground, but they're going to come out of the ground different than when they went in. We're not going to have the same kind of body that was buried. That's the whole purpose of his discussion here with the Corinthians. The body that emerges from the seed that dies is different from the body that was planted. Now, we're all pretty well acquainted with the kind of bodies that we now occupy. One of the most depressing thoughts that's communicated to me routinely when I go to work out every day is 
the constant reminder from everybody there that the older you get, you have to work twice as hard to maintain the same level of fitness as you used to get earlier in life. Does that depress anybody else but me? I mean, here it is when your life is so busy and you need more and more time, you got to take more and more of that time just to stay even, just so you don't fall behind. And, you know, we're all into that to some degree, and relatively we should be, because this is the temple which God has given us and we're supposed to take care of it. But how many will agree that taking care of this temple is getting to be a full-time job? Can I get a witness? (laughs) Well, the apostle is going to give us some encouragement here in a broad outline in 1 Corinthians that answers the very question that he poses, what kind of body shall we have? He describes four different qualities of our resurrection body, and he contrasts it with the body we currently have. So notice letter A, our new bodies will be indestructible. Verse 42 says it this way, so is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown, and when you see the word sown here, it means buried. The body is buried in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. The body is buried in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. Now, friends, there's only been one body in the history of the universe, in the history of time as we know it. There's only been one body that has not been subject to corruption. And that was the body of the Lord Jesus. The psalmist in Psalm 1610 said, You will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. There's only been one body that did not see corruption. Jesus was buried, but on the third day, he came out of the grave. His body had not seen corruption. The first thing that Paul teaches us about our new bodies, and this ought to really encourage us all, the first thing he teaches us is that it is not like our old body. Our present bodies wear out. We get old. We begin to notice that things don't work as they once did. We discover that no matter what we try, we can't stop the aging process. I don't care what the infomercials say. It doesn't work. Because there's nothing you can do to stop the body from the process which we all understand. And it's the process of aging. We can do our best to slow it down. We can do our best to camouflage it. But we can't stop it. Our present bodies are buried in corruption, but our resurrection bodies are incorruptible. They are not capable of deterioration or decay. When you get your new body, it's body for life. (laughs) It's body for eternity. They will never get old. They will never get tired. What shall be then shall be forever. We shall be what we will be forever and ever. Our resurrection body will not be subject to accident or disease or age. It will be free from pain and decay and death. It will never wear out. It will never die. It will outlive the stars. Are you ready for a body like that? Wow. My knees won't let me do the pounding I used to give them, so I ride a bike, which is pretty good exercise. I have a trail I love to ride. And I've learned something now since I've done this for the first time in the winter. It's a hard lesson to learn. 
The other day I got on my bike and I went out that thing. Man, I tell you what, I wasn't even hardly pedaling. I was flying. I was flying to the end. And then I had to turn around and come back. (laughs) The reason I was flying is because I had the wind at my back. But when I came back, I had a 110-mile headwind. I'm telling you what. And I prayed my way all the way back. When I got home, I collapsed. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I learned a lesson. Don't go so far with the wind when you got to drive back through it on the way home. But I got to thinking about that this week. When I get to heaven, coming back will be just as easy as going out. Because I'm going to have a perfect, indestructible, non-we're-outable body. (laughs) Amen? That's the first thing. The body we get when we get our extreme makeover is indestructible. Number two, verse 43, our new bodies will be identifiable. Now watch this, a careful argument here. Paul says in verse 43, our Present bodies will be sown or buried in dishonor, but our new bodies will be raised in glory. Paul says that our new bodies will be raised in glory. The word really is the word brilliance. Some people even think our new bodies may have a little glow to them. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's maybe from this word. It is a glorious body like the glorious body of the risen Savior. Now, I want you to notice the key passage in what our bodies are going to be like in all of the New Testament. It's Philippians chapter 3. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, what does that verse say to us about the kind of body that we're going to have? Our body is going to be transformed so that it is like the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and notice it says, our body is sown in dishonor, but it is raised in what, class? It's raised in glory. The glory that the Lord Jesus had in his glorious body is the glory we're going to have in our bodies when we are resurrected from the grave. Now, when the apostle tells us that we are raised in glory, we don't have to doubt what he means. Glory is the description of the body of Jesus. Our new bodies will be just like the resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what John is talking about when he writes to us in his first epistle. He says, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it is not yet revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, what does it say? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And Paul comes back to this powerful thought at the end of his teaching in 1 Corinthians. Notice verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, that's our current body, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, that's Jesus. Just like we now bear the image of our current body, the old Adam, one day we're going to bear the image of Jesus. We're going to have a body like Jesus. I almost call this message, body by Jesus. 
I see all these books out there, body by this person. One day we're going to have bodies by Jesus. Say that out loud. Bodies by Jesus. I'll tell you, whatever program you're on, you can just give it up because that's the one. That's the one. Now you say, well, Pastor Jeremiah, that's a great theological thought, but what is body by Jesus? Well, let me tell you how you find that out. The only time that we can observe as humans the body by Jesus is during the 40-day period between the resurrection of Jesus and when he went back to heaven. And you remember toward the end of the Gospels, we have a number of situations where Jesus expressed himself in his resurrection body after he was resurrected before he went back to heaven. And so when we look at those passages, we can learn some things about Jesus' body. And if our body is going to be like his body, then we'll know what our body is going to be like. Are you with me? So let me just give you three or four things that I've observed about the body of Jesus during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. Number one, Jesus said that his body was real. He had a real body. This is really important. Jesus said he had a real body. In Luke 24, 39, we read these words. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. What I want you to know right now is you're not going to have some spirit body that floats around forever. Jesus said, you're going to have a real body. Did you hear what he said? He said, handle me. My body is real. And a spirit body is an oxymoron. There isn't such a thing. If you have a body, it's not spirit. And if you're in the spirit, you're not in the body. Jesus' body was real. And when we get to heaven, we're going to have real bodies. Real transformed bodies like the body of the Lord Jesus when he was resurrected from the grave. Jesus said his body was real. Notice number two. This will greatly encourage many of you. Jesus ate on two occasions. I don't know of any questions that have been asked me more is, are we going to eat in heaven? Eating is not just to keep your body alive, but it's a pleasurable experience. Can I get a witness? But I want you to notice some things. Here again, this is Jesus in his resurrection body. Luke chapter 24, verses 42 and 43. So they gave Jesus a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate it in their presence. John 21, 12, and 13, Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. And the assumption is that he ate breakfast with his disciples. More than a few have suggested that in heaven, we will be able to eat without any of the negative effects. No acid reflux. We'll eat without gaining weight. Oh, my. (laughs) And listen, I thought about this this week. We will be able to taste foods like we never have before because in our resurrected body there will be nothing to take away from the perfection of our taste buds. You think that's 
steak was good. Oh, my. And listen to this, chocolate will have no greater effect on one's waistline than fruit. Whoa. We're going to be able to eat, but you see, what seems to be apparent is, you study this, is that you'll be able to eat, but you won't have to eat. You will eat for pleasure, but not in order to sustain, because you won't need to be sustained. You'll be sustained by the power of God that's resident within you. So eating will truly be a pleasure that you will enjoy. And by the way, in the garden, we had a picture of the beauty of uninterrupted cuisine and I believe we'll have a recreation of that whole scenario when we get to heaven someday. All right, so we're going to have a real body. We're going to be able to eat. Notice the third thing. Jesus told Thomas to touch his body. Notice verse 27 of John 20. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. Once again, I want to remind you that our bodies after the extreme makeover are going to be real bodies like our current bodies, only totally renovated, resurrected, made over. We'll be able to eat. We will have the sense of touch. We know that from this experience. Jesus told Mary not to hold on to him. Do you remember that experience? That happened in that period of time. John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. You can't cling to something that's not touchable. Jesus told Mary, Don't hold on to my body, because I haven't yet ascended to the Father. So people are always asking me, In my new body, will people know me, and will I know others? Jesus in his resurrection body was real. His disciples knew who he was. Listen to this. They knew that this Jesus who was with them after his death and resurrection was the very same Jesus they had known before his death. They knew this so deeply in their hearts that they all went to their death proclaiming the reality of his resurrection and that he came out of the grave, the same Jesus who had gone into the grave, but in his resurrection body, he was the real Jesus, the same Jesus who they knew before and they knew now. And that's the way it'll be for you. When you get to heaven, you're going to know all the people that you met down here, and they're going to know you. It is unthinkable to me that in heaven, we will know less than we do here. First Corinthians 13, 12 says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. We will have a greater sense of recognition in heaven than we've ever had here on this earth. And that is absolutely true. We'll have more of this tomorrow as we continue our discussion of the ultimate extreme makeover. During the month of April, our resource for the month is a booklet called Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. You've probably noticed as you've studied the book of Revelation that numbers appear quite often. And, uh, of course, the central number in the book of Revelation that everybody knows about is the 666 number. But there are many other numbers beside that. And 
One of the ways we can highlight that is through this little book. It's beautifully designed, and we'd like you to have it. It's yours for the asking. When you send a gift to Turning Point during the month of April, just say, please send me the number book, and we'll send it to you. And thank you ahead of time for your faithfulness, your generosity, your support, investment of this ministry. We also um, want you to know that this series comes from a book called The 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, but it's called The Book of Signs. And this book is available to you from Turning Point. You can now get it from our website. You can find it in all the bookstores. Uh, It's one of those books that will be there available for a long time because it's, well, it's a real resource for people who love prophecy. And I hope you have a copy of it. If you don't, you can get it that way. And in between now and then, get the Bible Prophecy by the Numbers book. Just a gift to Turning Point. That's all you have to do. Send a gift of any size and ask for your copy. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Thank you for being with us today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Bible Prophecy by the Numbers, David's new resource that relates the numbers in Scripture to God's prophetic plan. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Signs, right here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Do you wish you had a better grasp of Bible prophecy? Then you'll love Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, Bible Prophecy by the Numbers. Grow in your understanding of end times events and discover what the numbers and prophecy mean. This fascinating book is yours with a gift of any amount this month and give $70 or more to receive this book plus two other answer books that will help address your most pressing questions about end times and Bible prophecy. Find out more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. I cannot think of a single instance in the four Gospels where Jesus is described as hurrying from one place to another. Even when he cleansed the temple in Jerusalem, displaying energy and emotion, 
he still wasn't in a hurry. His words and his movements always seemed to be measured and just in time, never in the nick of time, which characterizes much of life today. I'm convicted by this to examine my own life. Do I try to move ahead of God? Do I sometimes have to run to catch up? My goal is to walk with the Lord in His perfect time. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's timing for your life on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.